Okay, when, when, Bible wrote the 60, when God wrote the 66 books of the Bible, each book has a purpose. For example, Habakkuk. It opens the eyes to see history. Through Habakkuk, my eyes to see the flow of the history of man opened. And so when we talk about prophecy, there's actually many misconceptions about what prophecy is. Prophecy isn't simply just foretelling the future. For example, let's say someone prophesied that, hey, if you live like this, you're going to die. Does that mean that God prophesied that so that he wants, because he wants to kill you? No, he wants you to repent. And so he wants this prophecy to be wrong. And so the kingdom of heaven's prophecy is not like a shaman. It's not like a witch. It's about, it's about being humble before God. And so from this perspective, prophecy of the kingdom of heaven is like seeing the entirety of the scale of the kingdom of heaven and a piece of that falling into your lap. For example, even if the prophecy is to one person, the prophecy that is given to that person can be unfurled with his nation, his country, his area, and in the entire world. And so the scale of prophecy is very large. And through Habakkuk, your eyes to this truth will be opened. And so in every 66 books of the Bible has a different purpose. And when you receive that purpose, that word becomes part of your character. Okay, when uh, the herald proclaims, the nation moves. Why? Because uh, the herald's proclamation has the will of the nation. And so that is what your mouth is used for. Because God's will is on your lips when you proclaim that the kingdom of heaven moves. And so the most important thing is to know the purpose of that book of the Bible. And one of the most amazing things I've noticed is that through the words I proclaim, the church can be broken down. That through the words I proclaim, the kingdom of heaven moves. I'm not proclaiming it with my thoughts, but with, through the will and purpose of God. And so it's important to eat the word of God, knowing each purpose for each book. Remember that this Bible is the word of God. This is not the words of man. And so this truth is not even worth trading our lives for or it is more valuable than in our lives. That's how precious and at the same time how much reverence you need to have. Okay, there are people who take out even like a word in, in, in a verb. But I will not take out even a word. Why? Because the Lord said you cannot take anything out or remove anything or, or add anything. 
And so I cons that's the weight that I ascribe to the Word of God. First John is a book about how to have fellowship with God. And so if you eat the word of First John in faith, then we can have fellowship with God the way the Apostle John did. And through that fellowship, we can learn of the love of God. And how great is this love of God that as, as we'll see in verse 1, that there's no way to express this love. It only can be known through experience. And how great this love was to the Apostle John is that even though he was fried in oil by the Romans, imagine how painful that would be. Don't you think he would have enmity towards Rome? And yet, he does not hate Rome. What is evidence of that? Is that look at the revelation that he wrote down. You cannot have that kind of revelation if you have hate in your heart. He sees the glory of all of the kingdom of heaven. And in light of that glory, that his life is going to be very small. And so what does he say at the end of that? Is God is love. In the, in the midst of that amazing glory, what does he see bigger than that glory? Is the love of God. And so as you have fellowship with God in this way, then you'll come to know the love of God as, in the, as deeply as the Apostle John did. And so we blessed your children today. And so your anger, rage towards, the, towards your children, you need to repent of these things. Rather have rage against the, rage against the enemy who has cursed your children. And we need to be able to love our children with the love of God. Because honestly, our children are, are one sacrifice for our ministry. And really, I ask my church members to really pray for our children, for my children a lot. Because they are the children who are taking carrying the same burden that I am. They are receiving the same spiritual pressure that I am. And so you too, you should be able to ask your church members to pray for your children to fight and engage in spiritual warfare for your children. And according to God's will, your children will rise up to be the next generation of ministers. And so, through 1 John, let us have deeper fellowship with God. So you've been listening to the word of 1 John. And that means that the anointing has entered into you. And when you go back home, listen to this sermon again. 
and let that anointing continue to build up inside of you. Then as time goes by, you will have fellowship like Apostle John. You will come to find how true it is to come before the throne of grace. Like Amos 3.7 says, to get to the height where you are, have, where God has no secrets from you. How awesome is that? To have no secrets between you and God. Even to Abraham, what did God say? He said, Abraham is my friend and I have no secrets from him. Even being a friend is this great. But we are not just a friend, but we are his bride. And there is no secrets between spouses, yes? Pastors, if you have a secret from your spouse, repent. And so that's the reason why you are using rooms with your with your with your spouse to open up your secrets. <laughs> And so when you guys go back to your room tonight, okay, share all your secrets. But at the same time, don't fight because of those secrets. And so let's go ahead and begin. Verse 1 talks about the, uh, uh, the condition for, for uh, um, fellowship. And so we're continually entering deeper into this mirror. And so at each room we come across, there's a new treasure waiting for us. And when I first met with First John, that's actually how I was blessed. It was as if I was going through a maze and finding these treasure rooms. And so, if you look at the Bible, um, more books are written by Paul, yes? And yet there's so many more commentaries on the Gospels or on the books that John has written, wrote than what Paul has wrote. The reason is because uh, the word of Apostle John is much more difficult to digest. So many people think that the Gospel of John is easy. It is not. It's just he expresses it using easy words. But the Apostle John is not a shallow book. That is how deep the revelation Apostle John has. And so the words of Apostle John, you need to keep repeatedly listening to it, repeatedly listen to it. And you need time to embody it. And I really am burdened to preach out of the books that John have, has written. For 24 years, as I've been ministering all over the world, this is my fourth time preaching out of First John. And so that means I've only preached out of John very little bit. Ephesians, I've probably done it a hundred times. 
And so I really have not preached out of John very much. There are many reasons for that. But my uh, principle behind my sermons is that if I did not embody it myself, then I do not preach it. And first John, there's many things that I have yet to embody. Especially when he says God is love. I'm not someone who knows the depth of that love, the amount that Apostle John does. And so that's why I've, I'm very burdened by this sermon. So I've only preached out of 1 John four times. And yet, and, and yet uh, this book of 1 John is really important. Why? Because it opens how to have fellowship with God. And so I want many of you to enter into the secret place of God where there is no secrets between you and God. And so one of my things, uh, my ministry is hope is that there will be someone who will be greater than me rising up through my preaching. And so I bless that many of you will be greater servants of God than me. This is truly my, my desire. And so with this heart in mind, I go out into the world. For me, my hope is to hear that oh, it's because of Pastor Mino Kim that I came to this place. Uh, when I get to heaven, when when I get to heaven, I want to hear that. And I I believe that God will answer my prayers. Amen. So verse one. And so look, the reason why we can have fellowship is because we are the children of God. And so if you are not a child of God, it is impossible to have fellowship with God. Now, of course, someone who is not a child may have fellowship. But when it comes to fellowship in the Bible, this word koinonia is talking about a fellowship of life. And so remember in chapter 1 verse 1, it said that we have heard the word of life. And so this word of life, the relationship of life is a relationship between father and son. And so we need to have this relationship of life. And so what do we seek from the Father? We're seeking life. Let's say you sought money, but that money is not money, it's life. Why? Because your relationship with God is a relationship of life. And so whatever God gives you, He's giving you life. And so what we need to be careful of we don't pray to God as if you're trying to uh, get a band-aid do not pray out of your need don't pray out of your desire you'll come to understand what this means as you have fellowship with God you may think that that is praying according to the will of God but what, but what we need to pray for is, is this relationship of life. And so, in other words, without God, we cannot live. As it says in the Lord's Prayer, God is our Abba Father. And that word is using the Aramaic. 
in order to uh, uh, keep the nuance of that word Abba. And what is Abba, the nuance of Abba? It's like a two-year-old child calling his father. And these two-year-olds, if the father doesn't give, they cannot survive. And that's the relationship we need to have with our father. That if he doesn't give, I cannot survive. But for the, many for the most part, if God doesn't give it to you, you look somewhere else, right? For example, let's look at David. David was fully reliant upon God. That he asked God, and if God didn't give, he didn't look to the left or to the right. Even when he was king. And so he, he prays to God, and God doesn't give him, he doesn't do anything. And so God is afraid when David prays. Why? Because if he doesn't, if I don't give it to him, he's going to die. And so there's many amongst you who pray to God. And you wait and you're looking at him. But if, if it seems like God's not going to give to you, then you go look for somewhere else to find a way. And so God doesn't have to tremble at your prayer. This is what it means to have Abba, Father relationship. And so in order for this to happen, when we have fellowship with God, I need to give up my ability to protect my own life. Every one of them, I'm laying them down. That apart from God, I have nothing. This is where true freedom comes. Okay, God makes it unnatural for you to possess things. That your life is getting bound because you keep adding things apart from God. So when you lay these things down, and God becomes your everything, and that is true freedom. And when this kind of person prays, ask whatever it is in my name, and I will give to you. And this promise becomes embodied in your life. And so this, how, why it's so important to have this relationship of life with God? That if it's not life, I don't need to ask for it. Because it has no use. That it becomes a burden to have anything that is not life. It becomes heavy. And so if you live with God, possessions becomes a burden. Remember, king lives by the power of their lips. Right? The king says, do this, and it happens. And because I'm a king, all I need is my mouth to live. And so when a king falls into the water, do you know why, do you know why he doesn't drown? He always floats. Do you know why? Because even there, he's speaking and commanding the fishes. Okay, please laugh when I make a joke. Okay, we are kings. And we live by the authority of our lips. Amen? And so the words that you proclaim from your lips will never fall to the floor because you have a relationship of life with God. Amen? 
And so let's look at this. When he says you are children, it's talking about this relationship of life. And this relationship of life is a, you are children because what? Because of love. And remember, love, light, and, and life are all the same in, 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 Paul's, in John's context. And see what kind of love the Father has given to us. And this word, what kind of love, is, is his way of expressing that it's impossible to express. And another way to express is that it's, it's different to each individual. To someone it might be a hundred, to another person it might be a thousand, and let's say you receive it as much as Apostle John did, that might probably be the highest. And so, Apostle John doesn't know how to express that, and so he says, see what kind of love. And this is how Apostle John expresses love whenever he does so. That God, for God so loved the world, and see what kind of love. There is no way to express it with words. And so how can you express it if you are to express it? This is my expression. It's explosive love. Because that's how I can, that's the best way I can express this love. Because this love was the love that transformed my life 29 years ago, 32 years ago. 39 years ago, I was someone who never even spoke a word throughout the day. Even when I drink alcohol, I rarely, I rarely uh, spoke. Even though my friends next to me would be running their mouth, what I would do is I would tie them, and if they were bothering me, I would tie them up and put tape on their lips, tape their mouth so that they couldn't talk to me. And then I would drink alone. But when I met with God, I'd be, I'd all of a sudden had the gift of gab. And so I became a completely different person. And because God's love enters into me, I become a completely different person. That before I met with the Lord, my, my father was a very rich man. And so I enjoyed everything in the world. Apart from women, I could do anything. You know, I, I, I participated in all the sports that I wanted to. And when I was in America, even though I was only 18 years old, I was driving around in a Porsche. And I lived, I lived, I lived well, okay? No? I, I, rode, I drove around in a Porsche at 18 years old. And then I met with God. And when I met with God, it really, the glory that I saw at that time, it, compared to now, is really small. And yet, my uh, desire for the world completely evaporated. I became a completely different person. That's how explosive this love is. That's why I call it explosive love. And so if you say that God's love is similar to the love of my wife, then you do not know the love of God. Okay, that's not the love of God, all right, Lawrence? <laughs>
Absolutely, this love cannot be compared with any love in this world. And if you receive this love, you will go crazy. If you receive this love, you, you, you become nothing. Amen? And so you will have your own way to express that love. For me, it's explosive. And Apostle John says, see what kind of love. For God so loved the world. And so you need to have this kind of inspiration of this love. And God loves that kind of expression. And so when you express that uh, um, amazement and wonder, God will pour out his love upon you. As Zephaniah 3 says, that he cries out in his love for you. That he, he loves you, he holds you in peace in his love. And so that's the love of God for us. And so can you feel that love tonight? Isn't it warm and hot? Isn't it warm? Warm, yes? And so let's continue. And so he gave us this love. And so he gives this amazing love and then it doesn't make sense if you don't have fellowship with him there. It's impossible to meet with someone that you love. Or it's impossible to not meet with someone that you love. Okay, so I can call my children using uh, video, video phone calls. And so at the very least, because I'm away from them, I can use this as a method. And yet, but I'm not going to live like this forever, right? I don't want to live that way. Because I love my children. And so if you love your children, you're going to meet. And remember, when God met with, or when God created Adam, the purpose was to meet with him. And so I said clearly yesterday that without fellowship with God, do not minister. We are people who are to give our lives to God, not to our ministry. We are not beings to give our lives for our ministry. If, if God says to quit, we can quit at any time. We need to be able to quit at any time. And I say this to my church members all the time. At any time, I might leave. And if I die, I leave. If God takes me, I leave. I'm not going to give my life to this ministry. The only thing I give my life to is God. And so without that fellowship with God, trying to do something is dangerous. Without that fellowship and you do ministry, then you're going to simply be moving according to legalism, according to ritual. And without this fellowship, whatever you do, ultimately, is for your own goal, for your own purpose. As it says in Philippians 2.4, that we are need to live according to the will and purpose of God. And so the children of God, the disciple of God, doesn't have their own will. They don't have their own purpose. They don't have their own philosophy. There is no my philosophy of pastoral ministry. That my purpose is God. 
My method is the Holy Spirit and the contents of my pastoral ministry is Jesus Christ. Everything is God. So if you have my own purpose, this is dangerous. And so in Korean, we call this ambition. Ambition. And so he, he did wordplay using the Korean word for ambition. And so if you have ambition, then you are... It doesn't work in English, so I'm sorry. But uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't work in English. But anyways. And so having fellowship with this love of God every day is continually expanding the life of God in our lives. And so honestly, in our lives, God doesn't demand much. As I've been living with God for 32 years, God never demanded anything from me. Now, of course, sometimes He gives me this heart that I'd be happy if you did this. And yet He never commands me, do this, do that. Now, of course, there may be differences from person to person, and yet that's how I met with God. Never demanded some work from me. And so a child of God, if they have fellowship with God, they will live and thrive. That if you meet with Him, you will thrive. But conversely, if you don't meet with Him, you will be wretched. A person has been built to meet with God. That's how you've been designed. That without Him, we cannot thrive. And so if you cannot feel the presence of God, if you cannot hear His voice, if you cannot fix, uh, be attuned to Him, then you need to worry, you need to be scared. You need to be scared to even step out your front door. That's how, if you feel the presence of God, then this is how you will live. But let's say you are with God, then, the, then you could even enter into the furnace, as the three friends of Daniel did, right? They entered into the furnace. And so even if they die, even if God doesn't save me, yet I will not bow down to you. This is the love of God. And so let's truly yearn to have fellowship with God. Because that's the only thing God wants from you. To meet with me. Live with me. Let's, have, let's converse together. That's the only thing He wants. That's why He created you. And that's why I say that we are His love partners. God wants to make you His love partner. This is the essence of love. Right? Wives and husbands, you get married because you love one another. And the result of that is children. Right? That is the fruit of your love. And God is love. And God, the fruit of His love is you. And so God doesn't say He created man. He says He begotten man. And that He has relationship with you. Right? And as it says in the book of Matthew, that He gave birth to you. And Isaiah says that he, he made a new creation out of you. Why? Because you are a creation that is different from the rest of creation. 
And when you look at the Bible, you can see the dignity that God has for you. God doesn't treat you lightly. Look at the entirety of the Bible. Even in Psalms 119, God is almighty, all-knowing. And yet He wants to know you. He wants to learn about you. How amazing is that? God wants to experience you. That for your glory, God does not, God chooses to give up on His foreknowledge of you. What does that mean? That means that let's say I sinned and I repented. God who is all knowing, oh, He's going to sin again soon. He might be able to say so. But God chooses to give up on this knowledge. And so when you ask for forgiveness, He will remember your sins no more. He doesn't care what might happen in the future. He chooses not to know it. That's how much God loves you. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Is this love approaching you at this time? How much, how much dignity He treats you with? The God who meets with me gives up His omniscience. That's why He can forgive you. Because He will not remember your sins no longer. If you fall again, then it's an issue for that time. How amazing is our God? Our God is truly amazing, amen? So let's use this example. Okay, there's an ant crawling on the floor here. And he's crawling. And so let's say he went down two meters. Okay, that's going to take this ant, it's going to take a lot of effort for this ant, right? But if I want to go one meter, it just takes one step, right? But let's say that I tried to walk like the ant did and, and took the same effort to go that one, one meter. Right? I, that would be torture to me. And yet that's what God does to approach you. He gives up all of His power, all of His, all of his um, um, nature in order to experience you, in order to have fellowship with you. Okay, Elijah went to King Ahab and said, you are going to die. And after Elijah leaves, Ahab fell onto the knee, into his knees and repented. And then so as Elijah's going back, God stops him. And he says, Elijah, Ahab is repenting. And go back to him and say that this will not happen in your lifetime. And so God changes his own prophecy. How amazing is that? That he's willing to, to trample on his own name, on his own honor, in order to express his love for you. That's how far his love goes for you. This is the love of God. And so do not treat his love lightly. And this is how much he loves you, that he's willing to give up his own son. Because he loves you this much, he's willing to put on the flesh. Because he loves you this much, he enters into you. This is the love of God. 
Amen? And we need to be amazed and grateful for the love of God every day, every moment, and be filled with inspiration every day. Amen? God who loves us, this explosive love, let us praise that love. Let's give all the glory to God. why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And the world doesn't know how much God loves us. Because they do not know God, they cannot know that. So why is John saying this? What he's saying is don't care, what, don't be concerned with what the world thinks of you. Because honestly, they don't know how God loves you. And so all you have to say is this. Let's wait and see. Wait and see. Let's wait and see because everything will be revealed when He comes. So we do not need to be hurt or offended by how the world treats us. As long as God acknowledges us, as long as He loves us, have faith in that love. And then so, in verse 2 to 9, this fellowship keeps leading you to perfection. And let's see the secret for that, of heading towards that perfection. So in, we saw in chapter 2 that there were many different levels of maturity within the Jolene community. There were little children, there were children, there were young men, and there were the fathers. And so the church needs to have many fathers. Those who spend many time with God in the, at the top of the mountain. And so I talked about the various elements to your faith, uh, right? I told you it was about your will. Your will was important through, it was about your direction, right? Direction towards God. And then Ezekiel 47, I said you have to empty yourself. And then Mark 4 talks about you need to uh, clean your spiritual state. Right, whether it's unbelief, worldliness, or greed. Cleansing these things by tilling your heart every day so that you can become the good soil, right? Because the only soil that bears fruit is the good soil. And then through First John, we talked about how much time, how much, how much fellowship you have with God, how much you are um, inundated in, in the fellowship of God. And one of the reasons why you're unable to meet with God at the peak of the mountain is, first of all, is because you do not have the nourishment. And that may be the problem with your church, or maybe because your spirit is bound. Because no matter how, uh, how uh, much water the cave may come, if the door, if the cap is closed, it's not going to enter, right? 
and so the doors to the spirit must be open and so no matter how much God pours out nothing receives because it's closed but when it comes to nourishment because the church doesn't provide maybe you don't receive that nourishment but as pastors you need to always make sure that you have this source and so as much as you empty yourself you need to receive and actually you are beings who need to receive more nourishment than regular Christians and you need to receive many intercessions and so in our church there are people who will fast 21 days 40 days for me even now there's people fasting for me because this is the way that I can stand firm and this is the way that I can lead them and so these fasting is not just for me but it's also for themselves and so anyway so one of the reasons might be the lack of spiritual nourishment and the other reason is because their their vessel is broken what is broken what does that mean that means they have emotional scars so remember, what is spirituality? Spirituality is receiving and maintaining. But because the vessel is broken, they are spilling everything away. Even though God is pouring out His grace like a waterfall, and you are being filled. But when you go home, because you have holes in your vessel, it all pours out. And so your wounds need to be healed. And and the healing of these wounds happens in the worship that is part essential part of worship and so it's just meeting with god for example let's say i have a wound from when i was two years old then the holy spirit meets with me and leads me to that place where so that i can have that same feeling and with that same feeling i need to pray to god and so if you look at our worship, church worship at our church, okay, church members come with rolls of tissue to, uh, to the worship. Why? Because there's lots of deliverance, lots of casting out demons. And the second thing is because lots of healing of inner wounds. And these kinds of people, you'll see mountains of tissue paper next to them. Because they're meeting with God in the worship. And so fundamentally, this inner healing happens in the midst of worship. And so what we need to not be bound and we need to receive spiritual nourishment. We must not have hurts or wounds. Then this kind of person will be at the peak with God. They will not go up and down, up and down. They'll be able to maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They'll be able to maintain the uh, anointing of God. And so this fellowship continually allows you to grow and grow. And so no matter what word of God is given to you, it's not my will that is that I receive it, but God's will. And so I'm not growing because I want to, I'm growing because God wants me to. 
When I'm blessed, it's not because I need that blessing, but because God wants to bless you. And so fundamentally, when God, there's no problem with God giving. That's the faith you need to have. That God is good and He is always giving. Many times you think that it's so hard to receive from God. But what you need to understand is that God wants to give you more than you can even imagine. To the point that He gives before you even pray for it. And so, what we need to understand is that there's a problem with your relationship to God. There's some issue that God is unable to give to you. For example, if He gave you money, you would be corrupted. That's why He doesn't give you money. Honestly, He wants to give you this entire universe. And as I look at you, I see many of you have these scars towards God, these wounds towards God. That is so hard to receive from God. It's so hard to find answers from God. That God turns His back on me. But what you need to understand is that's not the case. God wants to give you more than you can even imagine. God wants to give you more. He is infinite in what He gives. Amen? And so whenever you face the Word of God, you need to understand that it's not because it's my will, it's not because it's my desire, but it's God's will and God's desire. And so you becoming glorified, it's not because I want to be glorified, but because God wants to glorify you. And so you come to know all of these things when you move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. When, when you're filled with your thoughts, you're always going to be self-centered. And if you live in a self-centered way, then Christianity becomes weak in your life. Okay, um, uh, throughout the history of man, for 1,500 years, people were deceived by Aristotle, and they lived geocentrically. And so they thought that if they sailed too far, they would fall off the edge of the earth. But after Copernicus, they came to realize that the solar system revolves around the sun. And now they became excellent navigators, that they can go all around the world. It's the same thing to us. When I'm self-centered, I can only see around me. It's my world. And I cannot go beyond these boundaries. But when I go God-centered, I start to transcend. And we transcend ourselves. Amen? We need to be God-centered. Remember, Christianity is for others, not about me, but for others. It's not about my happiness. But through making other people happy, I'm filled with happiness. This is what it means to be Christian. And if you are God-centered, this is what, how you will live. And look, as I gave you this ice cream and seeing you being happy, it gave me such joy. I think I'll be filled with even more joy when you enjoy pizza tomorrow. Okay, you are being brainwashed right now by me. <laughs> Okay, moving on to verse 2. And so, so let's see how this fellowship is made whole. 
Okay, John first talks about the result of this fellowship. Beloved, we are God's children now. And so what is he trying to say here? Is that right now, as children of God, we have this glorious fellowship. So especially this fellowship that Apostle John has. That 2,000 years ago, our, our, our forefathers in faith had this amazing inspiration, this amazing joy. And I've been living in the midst of that joy for the past 32 years. And if God doesn't move, I cannot do anything. If God's presence is not there, I cannot do anything. And so they are in, enjoying this inspiration. And what we will be has not yet appeared. And so even though we have this glorious fellowship right now, but what we are going to experience when He comes has not yet appeared. And it is something that we cannot compare. It's going to be so much greater. For example, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that we are looking at the face of Jesus Christ as if we're looking through a mirror. It's cloudy. Because at that time, uh, mirrors were made out of bronze, right? And so they were not clear like mirrors are today. And so we're looking at the Lord right now. We're looking at Jesus, but it's cloudy. It's hazy. But the face we see right now is going to be the same face we see when He comes. And so the New Testament continually says to us this, to see, to gaze, to gaze upon Him. Why? Because as it says in Colossians 1.15, that God was invisible God. He was God that could not be seen. Right? Because if you saw him, you would die. But now through Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, we need to see him. As it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that from the face of Jesus Christ is the glory that shines the knowledge of God. And so shall we look at this? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. And so it's using the word of Genesis 1-3. And so in Genesis 1-3, when God said, let there be light, uh, all of creation began through his words. And this light is real, is real light, excuse me. And so when that light appeared, creation began. Right? It is the reality, right? Reality. And that's what's important to understand is that this light is reality. It's real. And so in that same way, what does he say? 
has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the light that shines in our hearts, it is a real light. Okay, if we do not have electric light, we'll still survive, right? But what if we didn't have the light of the sun? There would be no life. And so in the same way, our life is maintained through the light of God. Why are you unable to see that light? Because you have immersed yourself too much in the relative light of the world. Remember we talked yesterday about the noose. Your spiritual eyes have been blinded, that's why. Let's say you don't use this, this arm, but lift it up for 30 years, but never using it, but only lift it up for 30 years. For example, then this arm will no longer be able to be used. And so in the same way, if you don't live by the spirit, the spiritual functions within you start to wither. And so when it says, let shine, let light shine out of darkness, you need to understand what it means spiritually. Because the Bible keeps saying, look, look, look. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.18. It says that the Holy Spirit leads us from glory to glory to perfect the image of God in us. And so the Holy Spirit continually leads me to glory. And He's leading me to that light. And so when that happens, we are perfected in the image of God. As we see in 2 Corinthians 4.4, that we are being perfected in the image of God as we receive the glory of the gospel. And so we need to receive this word. So really, look at how much the Bible emphasizes to look, to look, to look. In the Old Testament, if you saw that light, you would die. But now in New Testament, we need to see that light to live. Amen? So open your eyes of faith. And you need to live by your spirit. Because you, if it's when you live by your spirit that you can see the spiritual light. Amen? And so those who keep looking at that light, your face will be radiant. There are many uh, church ministers at a church who are like this, that they cannot look at me because from my face shines a bright light. They say that from my eyes shines fire. And so, so, and so when they look, the demons cast out. Really, there's some who look at me and already demons will cast out. And we see that this is proof in the Bible because in Proverbs, right? that the king who can judge, uh, the judgment flows forth from his eyes. It's written in the word of God, right? And so when you stare at demon-possessed people, that demon should flee, amen? And so open your eyes to the spiritual world. Man can either live by spirit, they can live by their soul, or they can live by their flesh. So we need to keep living by the Spirit. Let the Spirit grow. Let that Spirit be free. Okay, so we need to see that light, amen? 
And so even now, as we're living on this earth, we can see the light that comes from that face. Amen? And that, and that face that we're seeing right now is going to be the same face we see when He comes. That when I look at him right now, I see he has two eyes, then he's not going to all of a sudden have one eye when he comes. And so the, so the only difference is how clear are you looking at him? And so the cleaner your spiritual eyes are, the more clearer you will see God. And so as you keep receiving that light, you are perfected into His image. And the more you are perfected into His image, the clearer you will see Him. I say, this is an expression that I use. That you need to be able to draw the face of Jesus Christ. I can draw His face. I'm just not a good drawer. That's why it's going to look ugly. But I can, I know. Because I see His face. I'm looking upon His image. And the books, the scissors books of the Bible is the perfection of that image. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will see His image. And so let's go back to verse 2. What does he say? But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we see Him as He is. And so when He appears and when we look at Him, we will be transformed as He is. What is, this, what is He trying to say here? If you look at Ezekiel 46, so from Ezekiel 42 to 48, he describes the temple that's going to come in the millennial kingdom and also the, the rites for the, for the sacrifice. And so in chapter 46, what we see is the festival of the new moon and the festival of the booths uh, that people are gathering to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And on that day, the eastern gate will open. And the only people who can go through that door are the priestly kings. Everyone else will stay outside the gates. And who are these priestly kings? Oh, you're raising your hand, right? You are the priestly kings. And who they are that when Jesus Christ comes back to earth, we're going to be taken up to heaven, to taken up to the skies. We're all going to be taken up to the skies, yes? And what's going to happen in the skies, as it says in Revelation 19, that uh, there will be the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? 
And who goes to the wedding feast? Who is invited to the wedding feast? Now, of course, it's the bride of the lamb, right? Yes. Who else? The crowd. Not the crowd of the wedding feast. Not everyone is going to be the bride. Right, Revelation says the one who continually washes their robes so that it shines bright like, like the sun, they are the bride of the Lamb. Just because you believe in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you'll be his bride. Right, shall we look at the requirements for this bride? Revelation 14.4 Okay, it talks about the remnant of the, four, of the 144,000 remnant. And it says that they will not uh, defile themselves with women. And who are these women that this is talking about here? It's talking about the great prostitute. What is the great prostitute? It is the Vatican. And they are those who are not defiled by the false truth of the Vatican. And so in these last days, God will only see two different types of people, right? This is the focus of, of revelations. And he wants this truth to be restored. And, he, and through that, you will keep the glorious worship. And so in these end times, the remnant are to give their lives for these two things. And so it says clearly that those who did not defile themselves with women, uh, that they will not be influenced by the corrupted worship of the Vatican, that the corrupted truth of the Vatican, that, they, that those who do not defile themselves with these things, they are the remnant. And they will be, rise up as uh, the bride of the, of the Lamb. And so, for they are virgins. And it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And so, even in, even in tribulation, they will not leave the Lamb. These are, these have been redeemed. And this word redeemed is the Hebrew word gar, which means uh, to be redeemed for inheritance, right? So the same way, you have been redeemed to be the bride of the Lamb. And then in verse 5, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And so what is this? This is perfection, fulfillment of the predestination. And what else does it say? Where else shall we look? Verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 14. In, in the last days, uh, there will be warfare between the remnant and, and the Antichrist. So look at verse 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And those with Him, these are those who are with the Lamb, they are the remnant. Who are they? They are called and chosen and faithful. So what is this speaking to? That they are called and chosen and, and faithful. And we can see this in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, it says the same thing. Let's turn to Matthew 22. Verse 14. 
This is talking about those who are invited to the wedding feast of the king. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the same word. This is the same meaning as what's being said in Revelation. Those who are called and chosen. That they are faithful. What does this mean? Who has called you? Jesus Christ. And so primarily because Jesus Christ has called you, you have been saved. Amen? But it doesn't just end here. Now you also need to be chosen. Is, do you have your chosenness? The word for chosen is the word par. And so Jesus Christ chose to wear the flesh of man. As it says in Isaiah 44. That he chose to do this. So what does this mean? That it, by Jesus choosing to put on the flesh, he gave up the glory of God. Because when you choose something, it means you have to give up another thing. And so those who receive the calling of God of Jesus Christ, because he called them, what do they have to throw away? They have to throw away their own things. They have to throw away the world. This is what it means, called and chosen. And so those who are faithful to their calling and to their chosenness. And so in Matthew 22, what does it say? There are many people who are called by the king. But, but there are only few who are chosen, only few who give up all of these things for their calling. And these are the ones who will be the bride of the Lamb. I bless you that you would come to the wedding feast as the bride, not as the crowd. Amen? For this reason, for this, what do we need? We need to not be defiled by the great prostitute. We need to receive the holy truth and be able to follow the Lamb wherever He goes and to be faithful to our calling and to our chosenness. And then you will be the, the bride of the Lamb. And so, uh, Jesus comes and, 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 uh, and they have that wedding feast in the sky. And then he will come down to earth. He'll come to Mount Zion. And so there's a place where I where I marked in Jerusalem where Jesus is going to come. It's about 90 meters from that golden gate. Really? I've marked the spot where Jesus is going to come. And so Jesus is going to come in that spot. And so what I'm trying to say here is that when he comes down to earth, when he comes riding on his white horse, there's going to, he's going to come down riding his horse, and right when he arrives on the earth, uh, there's going to be many people. Okay, right now, this golden gate is, is underground, 40 meters. And this gate is the gate that only the king can pass through. And so on that day that he returns, there's going to be a great earthquake 
and, and uh, all of Palestine is going to be leveled and this gate that is 30 meters underground is going to rise up and the king is going to go through that gate and he's going to go through the gate that signifies that he is the king and who's going to be with him on that day the priestly kings are going to be with him on that day. And who are those priestly kings? The bride of the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so, look, look at to the future. The Lord is coming. And he's riding that white horse. And are you there in that, in that crowd? When I was in America, the one thing that I wanted to learn was to how to ride a horse. I didn't know why I wanted to ride a horse at the time, but now I know why I, wrote, I wanted to learn. Because I'm going to ride a horse next to the Lord. Isn't this amazing? This is from Zechariah 14. And so as the bride of the Lamb, let us come on that inspirational day and reign over the world in this millennial kingdom. Then where is the people who are not uh, the priestly kings who are saved? Where are they going to be? that they're going to be somewhere being trained during the millennial kingdom if you look at Matthew 22 right, what does it say that they'll be cast outside where there is gnashing of teeth that's not they're not going to hell no these are people who have been called by God right but, but what does it mean that they will be sad and, and gnashing of teeth? Is that because they were unable to be brides. And so these people stand before the judgment of Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 5.10. So that's why we need to continually repent. And continually cleanse ourselves of the sins that have been recorded on our conscience. And keep living by the fire that purifies us and refines us. Keep living by the things of God until we walk to that point where we can follow after Him. Amen. So I bless you that you would be in that same place with me on that day. That we would all uh, come uh, to the earth like priestly kings. There are many things for us to do together, amen? Right, I also want to preach out of the eschaton. When will I ever have enough time? But before the Lord comes, I will, right? Preach at this. And so let's go back to 1 John. And so this verse 2 of chapter 3, is showing uh, these priestly kings who are standing face to face with the Lord. And so how far do we need to grow? 
we need to grow to the point where the old self becomes a vegetable, like it's nothing. This is glorification. The old self cannot do anything to affect me. That's the state that we need to grow to. But the old self is still there. When will the old self be taken away? As we look in Isaiah, that when the millennial kingdom comes with the Lord, uh, this old self will be removed. We will be made into the perfect body of the new self. But even in the millennial kingdom, we'll continually grow in our spirituality, in our faith. There is no proof of this in the Bible. But what's going to happen after the millennial kingdom? Honestly, it is my belief that even there we're going to continually grow. Continually growing to be more and more like God. And so how are we going to grow in millennial kingdom? By meeting with the Lord face to face. And so, in the millennial kingdom, when you look at him face to face, what are you going to be astonished? You're going to be like, we are the same. As you look at his face, you're going to be like, oh wow, we're the same. Wow, we're the same. We're the same. Okay, and are you inspired by this? You should be inspired by this. We are the same. Why? Because you have been looking at that face while you're on this earth. And so as you look to that face, you're continually growing. And so, and so these priestly kings in the millennial kingdom will enter through the eastern gate, the golden gate, on the festival of the new moon and the festival of the booths. So we'll meet with the Lord five times each month. But the rest of the people will not be able to meet with the king. Why? Because they are not yet clothed in the perfect body. And so if they look at Jesus face to face, they might die. But we are not only meeting five times, but whenever we desire that as long as we bring gifts, we can come before the king. Even now, at any time, we can draw near to the throne of grace. And in the millennial kingdom, at the same time, priestly kings can meet with him whenever they want. And so what should we be? Let us be these priestly kings, amen? We want to be the bride of the Lamb, amen? And so, this is the reason why we need to be holy and sanctified on this earth. And we need to be able to see this spiritual event even now. That, uh, that as we need to see him face to face and have our hearts beat waiting for him. Okay, why, why look for things on this earth? There, this worth is nothing. This world is nothing. Let us see the glory of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And so let us stand together on that day uh, as priestly kings. Amen? And so... Let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him, those who see him face to face will hope in him. 
And so whoever hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so like it says in Revelations, continually washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Continually dynamically having that fellowship with the Trinity God being cleansed by the blood of God as it continually, as I continually have fellowship with him. And so men of God needs to be able to review their lives each day, each day. That I, I lived by this strength. I, when I met with this person, that this spirit was moving inside of me. That I was receiving this kind of attack. And that, that I gave this hurt or this person hurt me in this way. And so as you uh, review your daily life, you need to be able to find the things that you can repent of and repent and clean yourself throughout the day. And so in the spiritual realm, we need to only be worried of one thing. Do not be lazy in cleaning yourself. As long as we are not lazy, our spiritual uh, realm will continually grow. It's dangerous to be spiritually lazy. Every day you need to be able to review your daily life. And if you are bound once, and if you are corrupted once, or, or get polluted once, if you, keep, if you let it fester, then if you let it fester, uh, you will not be able to realize why uh, your life is bound. You will not be able to realize why bad things happen. That means that you will not be able to repent. And so that's why we need to review ourselves every day. Especially as ministers, this is really important. That, oh, I said something that God didn't want me to say. That, oh, I did something that God did not want me to do. And so you need to be in a spiritual state that can always be led by the Holy Spirit. As pastors, your life, your being is very delicate. Because through you, God's word is proclaimed. And this word will determine whether people live or die. And so, of course, your position is very important. Your words will determine life and death. If you are not aware of this, at least this, then you are far. You have a long way to go. You need to understand that the words you proclaim will determine life and death. That's why your position is so important. It's very important. And without this mindset, it's impossible to serve men. And so because I saw this before I became a pastor, I didn't want to be a pastor. And so whenever I go around the world, I always say to the pastors that pastors is not out of volunteering, it's not out of volunteering, but out of calling. God needs to call you. 
And so I say this boldly and loudly. The Lord, when did I ever ask to be a pastor? Why are you sending me this cursed church member? Right, because I never asked to be a pastor. So why do you send me this kind of person? Why do you send me this kind of person? And so let's continue. Verse 4. This talks about the definition of sin. And so up to verse 9, we'll talk about sin now. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. And what is lawlessness? Lawlessness is without the word of God. And so if you sin, you don't have the word. What does that mean? That means you are in the old self state. And see, so the old self cannot help but sin. Why? Because the old self does not have the word of God and cannot be obedient to the word of God. And so the first uh, question you need to answer in your Christian life is, are you living in the old self or are you living in the new self? And so you need to see the clearly distinction between the new self and old self in your life. As you continue to live in the spirit, this will become more clear to you. And you need to understand that the old self and new self are fighting amongst themselves within you. And this battle is very severe for a time. For a time. And because the old self lacks the word of God, it cannot help but sin. And sin is lawlessness. Sin goes against the word of God. And so what else does lawlessness mean? It means rebellion. Rebellion against God. And so the old self is a rebel. Where does it say this? In Romans 8, 5. That the desires of the world is at odds against God, is an enemy to God. And so do not allow the old self to grow in you. Put it to death each day. This is really important. Amen. So let's continue. Verse 5. And verse 5 and 6 shows you how to not sin. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And so Jesus did not come to this earth just simply to forgive you of your sins. This is amazing. He came to take away sins. And so the reason why we can live on this earth without any issue is because the source of all suffering is sin. But we are dead to sin. We have been set free from sin. And so Paul doesn't simply whisper this in Romans 6, 7, and 8. No, he shouts it out. That you are free from sin. That you have been set free from sin. 
that you are no longer have to uh, be shackled to sin. Why? Because when Jesus died for us, my sin died with him. And my, my even old self died with him. And, and, so, and so the sinner cannot be separated from the sin. And so when my sin dies, the sinner within me died as well with the Lord. And so there is this principle of the three S's. Okay, Satan uses the secular, the world, to bait the self. And so this relationship is, all, is always there. Satan uses the secular to bait the self. Satan uses the secular to bait the self. And so if I want to break this relationship down, what do I need to do? Will Satan die? He will eventually die. But he does not die until, the, until this world passes. And so this is really important when it comes to deliverance ministry. When you cast out demons, you are not killing that demon. You are simply moving them. That means, and so do not forget that that demon can come back. And so after deliverance, what's important is to clean them, clean them so that they can resist that demon. Because demons will not die. They will not die until that white throne judgment. Then what about secular? Can you, can you kill this world? No, the world also will not die until the Lord returns. Then what needs to die? It's the self. It's the self. The old self needs to die. And, and yet, where's the answer to this? Jesus gave this answer on the cross. And when the self dies, I am dead to sin. And I'm dead to the law. And so look, it's like this. This is an example. You know, there are eunuchs in kingdoms, right? Eunuch is dead to immorality, is dead to adultery. Right? No one is going to accuse a eunuch of committing adultery, right? Right? You understand? Do you not understand what a eunuch is? You know what I'm saying, right? And so just as the eunuch is free from adultery, he also cannot be accused of adultery. And it's the same thing. You are free from sin, and you are also free from the accusation of that sin, which is the law. If you are free from the accusation, what does that mean? That means you are free from the accusation of the devil. You are free from his, from the condemnation that he may bring. That means that we can proclaim victory over the devil every day. For the wages of sin is death, and yet you are free from that, from that result. And so you need to make sure that the self is dead every day, every moment by moment. Because at any time that self can be revived. And so that's why you need to put it to death again. Put it to death again. Trample it again. Amen. 
And so when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't simply come to forgive you of your sins, but to take away your sins. And this proclamation and declaration has the power to send away all your power, your suffering, all your hardship. In other words, it doesn't mean that you will never have suffering. It doesn't mean you will never have hardships, but rather those things will not be a problem in your lives. That lack of money will not be a stumbling block. That a lack of people will not be a stumbling block. That someone being a thorn at your side will not be a stumbling block. This is the characteristic of being set free from sin. Have faith, have faith. If you believe that you are free from sin, this will come be embodied in you. 32 years ago, many people tried to put me to death. I don't know why. I don't know why people are trying to kill me. Why are they trying to kill this good-looking man? And yet, if I were to be offended by that, I would not be able to hate, I would not be here today. Many people betrayed me. If I was offended, then I would not be able to serve you. But God continually uh, works in me. Because I believe that I'm dead to sin. And so no matter what, what hardship may come to me, I know that I'm dead to that sin. Amen? Amen. And so let's continue. What else does he say? That, and in him there is no sin. This may seem like a simple confession, and yet what is jo John saying? What did he say earlier? He said, Jesus the just, right? Jesus righteous. And so he put on the flesh, and he became a man just like you and me, but he never sinned. Why? Because he was relying on the Holy Spirit. And so when, um, when John the Baptist, as representative of a man, laid his hands upon Jesus, he imparted all the sins of man, and he spilled that blood on the cross. And, that, and, then, and then he took the pure blood, the blood that never sinned once, and with that blood, he erased all the records of sin in the heavenly tabernacle. And for this reason, we, became, we were made whole. And this blood that he gives us doesn't just forgive us of our sins, but has the power to completely erase sins. As it says in Hebrews 10, 14 and 17, that I will remember your sins no more. And so if I repent once, he will not remember your sins ever. And one deacon said, ask me this. This deacon was someone who could pray very spiritually to God. And the head pastor of this deacon under, came to realize this. And then, she, and then the pastor said to her that you are wrong. And so 24 years ago, she broke down crying and said, no, this is truly Jesus. And the head pastor said, then ask Jesus this. And if you get this answer right, then this is really Jesus. If not, then it's not. And then so, in this day, I made this sin and asked Jesus what that sin is. And so the deacon met with Jesus on that night as she was praying. And she said that, Pastor asked me this, that on this day, he sinned 
And what sin did he sin? And Jesus said, wait for a moment. And he went somewhere. And then he came back scratching his head. And he said, I don't know what sin he sinned. And so this deacon was terrified. She was scared and crying. And she went to the head pastor. And so the head pastor asked, what did he say? And she was crying. And she was saying, I don't know. And the head pastor went, aha, you met, you truly did meet Jesus. Because I repented. And so there's no reason for him to remember that sin. Amen. This is the greatness of the power of the blood. And so today, you wash the sins of your children with the blood, and so it's over, amen? Look at how great the power of this blood is. That as it says, Sorry, I couldn't hear what he said. But... And so this amazing power of the blood. By the blood of Jesus. Amen. He asked me if I'm translating well. If not, I can change him for someone else. Okay, I can send the mission, your wife, to translate for you. Okay, let's continue, amen? Okay, the power of the blood, it's amazing, yes? When you say the power of the blood, demons tremble in their boots. How dare they touch me? When the royal blood flows through me. This blood is going to be with you forever. It's the blood that speaks in the heavenly realms is with you forever. And when I go to Jerusalem, for a while it was torture. There are many reasons for this. But one of the reasons is because so much innocent blood was spilled on that land. Blood is life, and so blood speaks. And I remember last time I came to Costa Rica, the first time I came to Costa Rica, I, 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 I heard this, but especially in Paraguay. In Paraguay, there's so much innocent blood spilled there. How about Costa Rica? Is, is Costa Rica also? Innocent blood spilled? Because the blood has life, it speaks. And so even the blood of Jesus that's inside of you has life, and so it speaks. And what does it say? It says that you are righteous. You are righteous. That blood is continually witnessing your righteousness. And so who is speaking within you? Don't let it be yourself. Don't speak for yourself. Let the Holy Spirit speak on your behalf. As it says in Hebrews, to speak according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Speak according to the Holy or to Jesus' words. Let Jesus speak. 
And so this kind of person doesn't speak according to their thoughts. He doesn't say that I think, but he says, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. That thus says the Lord. That the Holy Spirit says. Amen? And so this is the character that you need to speak out of. Amen? And so shall we hurry up and finish? Or shall we continue? No, I'm going to continue. Verse 6. No one who abides in him. So again, this is the dynamic of the Trinity. And so I'm in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in me and I'm in Jesus. And so no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. The new self does not sin. The new self does, you need to believe that the new self has no system to sin. The new self cannot sin. Because he does not have the system, the capacity to sin. Why? Because Jesus, as he came on this earth and never sinned once, that entire system is inside of me. But conversely, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So what is Paul trying to say here? Or not Paul, John. That the new self state can see God. Look at this revelation. The new self is the one that sees God. And so to see, to see, to see. And so whether you're aware of it or not, the new self is always looking to God. Because the new self knows that he is fully dependent on God. That if God doesn't give, he cannot survive. And so let's say that someone hated me. Then my new self will respond how? Will not respond in hate. But rather, through the Holy Spirit, will receive the love from the Father to love this person who hates them. And so this spiritual mechanism is continually happening within you. So we live by the strength that God provides. As it says in 1 Peter 4.10 or 4.2 that live by the strength that God gives. That when God's, that when you speak, speak in God. And so new self does not live by my strength but lives by the strength that God provides. Why do you despair? Why do you get angry? Why are you suffering? Because you're living in the old self. You're living in your own methods. And so if you live by the strength that God gives, you will not be exhausted. You will not despair. You will not be weakened. Amen? And so live by the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, the old self, new self is not a, a figure of your imagination. It is reality. And so on that day you get clothed in that perfect body, you will see the reality of the old self. And you will see it being separated from you. Just as your spirit is real, right? Your spirit is real. Is it? It's real. Okay, let's say I put on a glove. Then how, what is the shape of that glove? It is the shape of my hands, right? It is the shape of my hands. Right? Because my hand is inside of it. In the same way, your spirit. 
your spirit is similar to the way you look outside. All of a sudden, you lost hope. <laughs> And so when you see their spirit, you know that that's, it belongs to that person. Because you know that fake person's face. Now, of course, because it's a perfect body, there will be a different glory. Maybe some of your pastors, your stomach will go in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. And so what is deception? You, the deception here is that you think that you could live in the old self and still see God. And that it's also deception to think that living in the new self and unable to see Jesus. It's a deception to think that you're living in the old self and you're not sinning. And it's also deception to think that you're living in the new self and yet you can sin. So it's saying, do not be deceived. And so this distinction must be clear. The old self will always choose sin. The new self will always choose holiness. And this is clear. And so where is victory? It's not about what I do, but am I choosing grace and am I living in the new self? This is where victory is determined. Children of God do not live based on their works. We do not live by the merits of our works. It's not about what I have, what I've done, what I am, or what I do, but what I am and who I am. It's about my being. It's not about what I have done. Because Jesus can give at any time. God can make if He so desires. But it's about who I am. Who am I? Who am I before the Lord? That is what that is what's important here. And so there is no exhaustion before God. Amen. And so we're looking at verse 7. So little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And so this is the state that is continually receiving the righteousness. And so as he is righteous, we are righteous. Right, as I said, the new self can only live by the system of righteousness. Why? Because from his being, he, is, he bears fruit. And so, because you are a sinner, you sin. Because you are righteous, you practice righteousness. And so when we talk about confirmation of salvation, what this means, what is confirmation of salvation? Is that even now I'm standing before the glory of God. If you have this confidence, then what do we need for this confidence? As it says in Habakkuk 1 of 4, is that the righteous shall live by faith. And Romans 1.17 also uses it that the righteous shall live by faith. Romans focuses on righteousness, that the righteous shall live by faith. But Galatians 3.11 uses the same thing, that the righteous shall live by faith. 
But in Galatians, the focus is on faith. In Hebrews 10.38, the author of Hebrews all again says the righteous shall live by faith. But now the focus on, on, on in Hebrews is on life. And so in faith, when you receive righteousness, you live by that righteousness. And so just as Trinity is, the, is a triangle, same thing, faith, righteous life. These three things move together. They move together always. When I receive that I'm righteous in faith, then the life that that person will live is a life of righteousness. First Thessalonians 1.3 that what is the focus of this righteous life is the work of faith, the, uh, uh, the effort of, good, of, of, of love, and the hope of... Uh, sorry, I don't remember the exact words. But, but, these, but this fruit will always be there for those who live the righteousness. And this is confirmation of salvation. And so first of all, you need to receive that you are righteous in faith. And as time goes by, you live that out, that righteousness. And so, if you receive faith and live righteousness, you will bear that fruit of that righteousness. And this is the essence of the doctrine of salvation of the New Testament. Are you righteous or not? The power, through the power of the blood of Christ, you have been made righteous. We have received salvation through faith. Amen? And if that faith is true, then you will be able to live out that righteousness. And you will bear fruit of that righteousness. Your character will change. Your personality will change. Your life will change. And so I've been talking about this mechanism throughout this week. And the power of the blood makes this inside of you. And the power of that blood is the purpose of God's love. And because of His love, He spilled His blood for you. And so believing in the blood is believing in His love. And those who believe in that love, out of them comes the aroma of God's blood. Uh, my children know that I love them. Why? Because I am their father. Because my blood uh, and uh, flows through them. Through my blood they were begotten. And so love and blood goes together. Why does blood become so abstract? It's because you do not believe in the love of God. If you love, believe in that love, that blood will be real. Will not be abstract, but will be real. And so if you believe in that, you will live out that righteousness. And so you'll be able to live in grace. Amen? Now let's continue. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So the nuance is a little bit different, yes? So of course, he's continuing speaking of new self, old self. But now what he's describing is what happens if you, maintain, if you continue to live in the old self. So whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So those who sin is what? Is the old self. And the old self is, is, is of the devil. What does this mean? 
if I reject grace, I'm choosing myself, yes? That means I'm choosing the old self. But this old self can at any time be controlled by the devil. If you look at Genesis, that the, uh, what did he curse the devil? That you will eat the dust. And what is the dust? It is the old self, the dead body. And so the serpent is, is, uh, has the right to eat that dust. And so the old self can't help but be controlled by the devil. And so the secret to victory is to not live by the old self. And what else does it say? For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That the devil from the beginning, what he did was to sin. And so can you say that the devil equals sin? Yes. Yes. Uh, primarily, yes, you can say that. Because uh, the devil eats sin. And so you can say that the devil equals sin. And yet, what, what is being said here is that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so if the devil disappears, does that mean sin will disappear? Or if sin disappears, will the devil disappear? So think about this one. Once again, if devil disappears, will there be no sin? Okay, it's like this. When I was in America, okay, during this time, uh, there was someone who, who won the biggest prize at, on the lotto. But when I left America, this man became a drug addict. And so many people said, Uh, that this person was, uh, was ruined by winning the lotto. No, that's just what it looks like. That person already had the ability to make that sin. It's just the circumstances didn't allow it. But when the circumstances allowed it, he lived the way he did. And so just because there is no devil doesn't mean man will not sin. Look at the millennial kingdom. During the millennial kingdom, no one sins. Why? Because the light of Jesus' glory shines over the world. And also, there's no devil. There's no devil to deceive you. But when the millennial kingdom finishes, Jesus is going, or God is going to open the gates of hell and these people who even saw the glory of Jesus for a thousand years, they're going to betray Jesus even then. This is how wicked man is. It's not easy for man to be changed. And so God, I take pity on you for as pastors. Right, because this is who you are dealing with. And yet let's think about the opposite. In the new heaven and new earth, God, let's say God were to open, uh, to allow demons to roam there. Will humans sin? No, they will not sin. Why? There's nothing for the devil to do. Why? 
Because in their being, their being has nothing to do with sin. And so let's continue. Uh, the devil uh, the, destroyed the works of the devil. What is the works of the devil? Is the work of the devil the devil itself? So what is he continuing trying to say through this? He's trying to speak of the sin. And so what is the works of the devil? It is sin. And so it's when you get rid of the dung that there are no flies. But if you keep just chasing away the flies, uh, nothing's going to happen. As long as the dung is still there, the flies are going to keep coming back. And so we need to get rid of the dung, right? I think they're laughing because of his choice of words. So I could have said shit, but I don't. I didn't want to use the word shit. I don't know. What should I say? Shit, dung, poop, boo boo. Okay, the Bible doesn't use high language, okay? You can use filthy language, vulgar language. Okay, because poop is poop. Or, or if I want to use his words, shit is shit. So anyways. Okay, seeing how much you laugh at shit, I guess you like shit. But this is really important. Okay, look at spiritual warfare. This is actually what it is. It's not about fighting the spirits that are outside. No, it's about fighting what's inside. It's being cleaned through the power of the blood within you every day. It's about what's inside you. And so it's always about what's dwelling within you. That's what's important, not what's outside. And that's why we need to keep receiving the righteousness that Jesus Christ gave us. So verse 10, or verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. How is it possible for man to not sin? Who is those born of God? It is talking about the new self. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. The new self does not sin. Why? Because what's in this new self? The new self is the seed of God. And there are three things described when the Bible says seed. First, it can talk about your children, right? We see in Leviticus. And then it also says, talks about the blood of Jesus Christ, that the seed is the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10, 20 says that because this holy blood was sprinkled, that it's like a seed. And another word that, another thing that is described is the spirit of God. And another thing is the word of God is described as seed. And so because the seed is inside of us, if we keep living by the new self, this seed grows and multiplies. It continually grows to take control. 
And so we can grow to a person that will not sin. And so how can man not sin? If you think this way, it's because you're living based on works. But when you believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, this becomes possible. The Bible speaks of glorification. The Bible speaks of predestination. The Bible says that you will not sin. And this is all possible when you receive what Jesus Christ has done in faith. And so as you are sanctified, it becomes more and more difficult to sin. Is there any amongst you, when you watch one movie, you suffer throughout that movie? It needs to be a suffering. Shopping needs to be torture. You need to suffer when you think ill of other people. That when you uh, curse other people, that you need to feel pain. And going beyond that, you need to suffer when you go against the will of the Holy Spirit. That is the proof that your whole new self is growing. As that sanctification grows deeper, uh, the, the reason for your repentance will become not repenting of things that well, the Bible says do not do, but you need to be able to repent when God says do this. When God says to love, how much do you need to love? That's why you repent, because you're not able to fulfill the same amount. When it says believe, how much are you to believe? And so you repent because of belief. When God says to give, how much do you need to give to say that it's giving? You need to be able to give up your life. That's why we repent. That's how deep our repentance needs to go. This is proof of sanctification. If you're still continually repenting of don't do this, then that means you're still at elementary stages. Love. Then we repent because of love. Believe. We repent because of faith. Give. We repent because of what we give. This is sanctification. And so we're going to divinity. If you live by Jesus Christ, this will be possible. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's when He lives, this is possible. So Lord, You live in me. Lord, You live out my life. I cannot do anything. So let's continue. And so this new self cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. And so verse 10 to 12, this is asking, who do you belong to? 
And so earlier we talked about, do you belong to the new church? Or the true church, not new church, sorry, true church. Do you belong to the truth? Do you belong to God? This is what's being asked here. And so, belong to, right? This is talking about possession. And so are you a possession of truth? Are you the possession of the true church? Are you, the are you God's possession? You need to acknowledge that you are God's property. That you are, that I am your, that you, I'm your servant. Paul uses this phrase a lot. My God. What does that mean? This means that God acknowledges him as his property. God who I meet with, my God, my gospel. That means that that gospel possesses him. And so Paul says that I am, I am tethered to the gospel or that I am enslaved to the gospel. And so that the truth possesses me that I belong to the truth. And so, to those people who have the Holy Spirit within them, who have the Word within them, who are members of the church, they know that they belong to God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. And so the children of God are is the new self, and the children of the devil is the old self. And the current that is flowing through verse 10, 11, and 12 is speaking that if you keep choosing the old self, the old self will reign over you. If you talk about it from the perspective of Gnosticism, that you are completely mixed into Gnosticism. And so that is the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. And so the children of devil is what we do not want, right? It does not love and does not practice righteousness because it, they cannot do these things. Because I cannot love on myself. I love by the love that God gives me. And so we'll see this in chapter 4. And so love does not belong to me, but it belongs to God. It is not I love God first, but God loved me first. And we're almost finished, okay? We're almost finished. So bear with me a little bit more. And then after the message is over, let's pray for 30 minutes. And, and we'll see great things happening. Powerful works happening. So you came here to meet with God, yes? Then even if you sleep a little bit less, it's okay. And that's why I gave you ice cream, right? And so let's pray today to deal with all the shit that has been stored up inside of you. Costa Rica, you seem to enjoy shit. Okay, verse 10. Or verse 11. No, verse 10. And so, it is evident uh, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. 
is to believe that you are God's property. Amen? That the enemy cannot touch you because you are God's property. Verse 11. This is a sample of what is described in verse 10. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And so we love one another. We love the brothers. Right? The devil cannot love. But because we belong to God, God pours out his love and so we can love one another. And so it's going to show you an example of the children of the devil. We see Cain. So do not, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And so who was of the evil one, who was of the devil, right? And there's an important spiritual principle being described here. Okay, that your life, you do not choose the contents of your life. Okay, if I live by God, God fulfills the, fills the contents of my life. This is an important principle to understand. And so it becomes difficult to live of your own accord. You empty yourself and so it's not my methods, my, me my knowledge. No, if I choose God, then God lives my life for me. Amen? But opposite, if I live in the old self, the old, and I get strengthened in the old self, the devil chooses what sins I sin. And so Costa Rica, you have a prison, right? Go to the prison and ask the prisoners that did you commit this sin? Did you really want to steal? No one will say, no one will acknowledge that they did. If I live in the old self, the sin is determined by devil. And so we always need to fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord will be wary of sin. Why? Because they know that, a, that sin is a life of itself. And if you live by the Spirit, you understand that sin has a life of its own. This is impossible to realize unless the Spirit is within you. And yet, amazingly, what's amazing is that David recognized this in the Old Testament era. In, in Psalms 51, this is the psalm that David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba. And he makes this amazing confession that my sin is ever before me. He is acknowledging that sin is the life of itself. That the sin is ever before me. And because the sin has a life, it works. It moves. And it moved to the point where it moved me to, to, to bear fruit of that sin. And so David first committed the sin of laziness where he woke up late in the morning. And so he looked out his walls and he saw a naked lady. And while, as he saw that naked lady, he, he harbored that adultery. And as he harbored that adultery, it bore fruit so that what? He killed his faithful servant. He never chose to kill his servant. And all he did was choose the old self. But that sin led him to commit murder. 
And so we need to continually maintain the righteousness and be humble before the Lord. It's not about your ethics, your morality. Your ethics and morality will not protect you from sin. Your ethics may limit you. But it cannot be victorious over the desires of sin. It cannot overcome the desires of sin. The only thing that can overcome the desires of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we need to receive the principle of life clearly. And thanks be to God that we can stand before the throne of grace and receive grace. And so He will fill the contents of my life. And so there's no reason to falter. There's no reason to be a scared. Because God loved me first. What does that mean? That He will take responsibility for my life. And so how does Paul describe this in 1 Peter? Or 1 Corinthians? That God loves me. And because He loves me, He'll take responsibility for me. And so, pastors, you, you propose to your wife, yes? You propose to your wife, yes? Because I propose to my wife first, I take responsibility for her life. Let's say your wife proposed to you, then she takes responsibility for you. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Okay, there's um, a, young, a junior of mine who's in England. His wife is seven years older than him. And while he was in seminary, he all of a sudden came to me. And I asked him, what's going on? He said that this lady came up to me and said that she prepared everything to get married to her. What should I do? I said, dude, marriage is nothing. Get married to her. And truly, truly, she took responsibility of his entire life. She provided for everything. Listen carefully, listen carefully. God proposed to us, yes? God is the one who proposed to you. So God will take responsibility. Amen? And He has the ability to take care of you. And so should I choose the contents of my life or not? No, 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 no. I do not live by my purpose. I do not live by my will. He lives my life for me. And so that's why I say it's easy to live with God. And lastly, and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. What is the saying? Because his deeds were, this word, were evil. It's written in the perfect tense. Oh, sorry. Imperfect tense. Meaning that it was continuing. Continuing. 
But his brother's works also is written in the imperfect tense, was continuously righteous. When we see um, the, the first sin of mankind, Eve, when it was looking at the fruit, this is also written in the imperfect tense. She didn't just all of a sudden eat that apple. No, rather, she kept looking at that fruit. And as she looked at that fruit, she desired it. Keep desiring it. Keep desiring it. And she kept being deceased. And because she continually lives by the old self, that old self, the flesh, leads you to sin. The devil keeps deceiving you that the fruit that the fruit is desirable to eat that the fruit is desirable to eat and so eventually it gets to the point where you commit that sin God's not going to judge you for making one mistake all of a sudden no it's because he's been continually choosing the old self continually being deceived and it's the same thing with Cain Cain was continually practicing evil He's been continually letting the old self grow inside of him. And so we, and so eventually he kills his brother. And so the victory, that, the, what will determine victory is not living with the old self. Keep living in the new self. Keep living in righteousness. And so we're finished. Let us pray. And so today, let us clean up all the shit that's inside of us. By the power of the blood. By the power of the blood. Let's turn off the lights. And so, however long it may take, take some time to pray. Because you have eaten a high nutrient food today. You need some time to digest it. And so let's digest it today in prayer. And what God is clearly saying right now, is that there are many of you who are going to confirm the power of the blood tonight. And the power of that blood will cleanse you of all your filth. And once again, let's lift up our children to God today. Let's cover them by the blood of Christ. And proclaim to the devil that you have no authority here by the blood of Christ. Let's pray all together.